you've tapped or clicked in to College Volleyball Weekly on Viral Volley Media. Now here's your host, Rob on Mike. Hey, good day, everyone, and welcome to episode 11, I believe it is, of College Volleyball Weekly in the 2023 season. Jay Hosick of George Mason, Brad Rothschild of UC San Diego, Dan Friend of Lewis, and Theo Edwards of San Fernando State University, otherwise known as Cal State Northridge. And we're going to jump right into it, because I know we have very limited time here, but College Volleyball Weekly Part 2 Valley Edition, or were you in San Diego? That's what I want to know. UCSD versus CSUN, number 12 CSUN. And, you know, let's have Brad talk about the result first, and we'll go to Theo's response afterwards. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, I mean, I mean Northridge, and we headed up to, to Northridge, and we had a good little drive up there. Obviously hit some L.A. traffic, but, yeah, I mean, the boys came in, and they were ready to go, and they were ready to play, and it's a testament to the work they've been putting in and they've just been grinding and getting better. Um, and we haven't had the best results, um, especially over the last three weeks or so. And starting off with more big West play with us, with our finals weeks going on now. Um, but yeah, the boys were ready to roll and they played some really, really good defense and frustrated the CSUN attackers and frustrated the CSUN um, servers as well, which was probably the biggest um, differentiating factor was just the service errors on the Northridge side of things. Um, which isn't going to be much of a shock to, to Theo. Um, but, but yeah, we, we played really well. We got some good breaks too. There's some funky plays that went our way um, that were just kind of random, but it was a, it was a battle for sure. Well, let's take Theo's segment. He can talk about, you know, he's, they came in at number 12 tied with ball state last week. And then you had a run of a week that wasn't so hot for you, but I mean, it actually comes one of the matches comes across a team that's we're going to be talking about a little bit here because they're actually at top of the IVA did not realize that they were that on fire. But I think one of the other coaches there, Dan or Jay actually called that. So Theo, take a shot. Yeah, sure. Uh, no, he I think uh, Brad hit it on the head. Um, they came in, uh, played tremendously well. You know, our, our team came off of a, uh, idle week uh, the week before. And I think we were about 10 days off of competition and, um, you know, I think in hindsight, that was a, a mistake in the schedule because uh, it it definitely hurt us in the long run. And there were some really, really interesting plays that happened in that UCSD match. And, you know, I think our guys battled. Uh, but there was a moment I told Brad after the match. Even when we did things right, it found a way to uh, to go to San Diego. There was a there was an ace where it was kind of a deflection play. Outside hitter passes the ball, it bounces off his arm, hits the libero in his face. Ball shoots towards the net. Their middle turns and just gives one of these and pops it over. And I'm just sitting there like, dude, I don't know that there's anything we can do to stop these guys. I mean, it was there was a uh, there was a stretch of probably about five or six really really nice swings, and San Diego dug every single one of them. I mean, it was just just some really really good ball being played on their side of the net and. Uh, you know, a little too much for us to uh, to get over the top. And uh, I thought they played great. Tip my hat to them. They uh, they did some really nice things. There we go. That was the Big West match of the week. UC San Diego at Cal State Northridge. But let's look now at our top 15 recap. We're going to start off with number seven, Pepperdine. Oh, Coach wait. Pepper. I want to talk about them. I got this bottle of wine that Brad <laughs> sent me that is fantastic. 
And the thing that Theo doesn't know is I was actually at that match. I'm the one kind of directing those <laughs> balls that you had no clue about. And so I just <laughs> let you guys know that uh, Theo hates yeah. me right now, which is okay. Brad loves me. This is kind of how it goes. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's, this is definitely the CVW. Uh, this is the ghost of Dan Friend who <laughs> absolutely came out and jinxed me. Unbelievable. No, no, no. It's Jay's jinxing or Friend's funking. So, <laughs> well, I what I, I I'll comment on the second on the match. What's funny to me right now is you could tell which coaches on this panel have been at it longer. If you look at my office and Dan's office, there is a whole bunch of stuff going on in the background. And then you look at Theo, who's been coaching a little bit. You know, at Northridge, he's got a little bit of stuff in there, a little co- accoutrement. And then you look at Brad, completely dead empty. There's not a thing in there. And what's really going to be fun to watch is in 10 years, 15 years, if Brad is still doing the show or another one, how packed his office is going to be. That's, you know, he's going to have all these fun little memorabilia from over the years. But you know what? Here's the thing. We talked about it before. One through five are going to beat each other on any given night, which we saw this weekend and we've seen in weeks past. Six through 20 are going to beat each other on any given night, which we've seen throughout the course of the season. When some of those teams break into that upper echelon and beat some of those teams, that's when there'll be something really big to talk about. But there's nothing There's nothing here other than Brad's team that night executed, maybe got lucky on a few plays, which happens in volleyball, but they executed that night. That's all that is. It's not an upset. It's not, you know, Brad, like, found this magic little thing to make his team work, and it's not that Theo's doing anything wrong in his gym. It's two good teams in that tier just beating each other up. And I think it's fun to watch. Excellent. Well, maybe Brad was playing the movie Rudy or Rocky one through five on there. That's what I think would happen. And then right before the match and he got, he kicked the three Oh win in a gear. So yeah, we watched Rocky the whole way up on the bus trip. <laughs> All five of them because of traffic. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's go to our top 15 recap. As, as I was saying, number seven, Pepperdine hosted Harvard with a three Oh win and Damon on Friday, three Oh win. Um, kind of expected there, but Damon, we've been seeing them a lot here in these last few weeks, but who wants to chip in on a Pepperdine, a recap on what they've, they've been doing this last week? Well, Pepperdine right? obviously has Jalen Jasper, who is no slouch, um, but they got a middle Aiken, Aiken Wumi, who hits a slower ball, but uh, in terms of tempo, like he's still on the ground when the ball is being set, it's almost like a one and a half or a naked two ball. The kid's got a cannon for an arm. And man, if you're not in front of him, if you're not paying attention, that kid's lethal. And he's got a serve. It's extreme. It's probably the most terminal serve in the country. It's either an ace or it's an error. <laughs> but but it's coming at you at a gnarly speed. And it's got a little bit of turn and twist to it. You know, Pepperdine's a good team. And in uh, Harvard, you know, they might be rebuilding a little bit this year. But Damon, I mean, Damon came in that match and, and didn't play maybe to the way they want to, but they handled somebody else on this screen in a, in a few matches or a few games <laughs> that, uh, that should be mentioned later on. Yep. Anyone else want to chime in on that, on Pepperdine for the week? Yeah, it looks like Pepperdine's getting Jacob Steele involved and he's had some injury issues going on. So seeing how he gets incorporated more and more, um, I think that's going to be a big factor if they can kind of make that next jump up into those top five, top six teams consistently. Yeah. I didn't see that on the box that Jacob Steele's been making uh, some appearances. So 
uh, hopefully he's over whatever it is that kept him out of the lineup. I imagine it's the injury protocols, but and he's uh, back and getting the, the waves ready to go for the uh, late season run here. Uh, next uh, team, number six, Grand Canyon. Two matches last week, still uh, an undefeated week, we'll say. Princeton 3-0 and Princeton again 3-0. But uh, Camden Gianni is, looks like, based on the boxes, he's getting more and more involved, which is pretty darn scary because it means they've got Hickman, Gianni, and Janky. And their middle, Rico Wardlow, who's been putting up some really good numbers and a very, we'll say, great floor captain in Nicholas Slight. Uh, anyone want to comment on Grand Canyon? Yeah, well, I, you know, I think it's just obvious that week after week they're proving who they are um, and that they belong. Uh, I think, you know, it'll be really, really interesting at the end of the season to see if they can go up against one of these top four teams and uh, and show us that they belong even in that conversation, because I'm not convinced that they don't. Uh, they're they're right there in that mix. And, uh, you know, like you said, Rob, the, the way that they have the offense going, the amount of weapons that they have and their their flair and the, the fire that they bring day in and day out is pretty impressive. Yeah, I, think, um, I just I looked them up and I was looking at the strength of schedule and some RPI stuff, I think, because ultimately with why splitting with Long Beach. Um, it's interesting to kind of think about, you know, those two, three teams, you know, if the Grand Canyon can't beat UCLA and UCLA wins the MPSF or what that looks like on the at-large piece, but you really do think those are the mix of schools that are kind of in that conversation topic in terms of that. And Grand Canyon's overall record right now, if they stay steadier, is in a pretty good spot, you know what I mean, in terms of that. And so, um, you know, as the committee always has a tough job, that'll be Certainly a couple of the teams are in the mix of that conversation. Grand Canyon's got to take care of every match it can as it, that's in front of them in terms of the ones they control. So I think and I think Slight is the unsung hero here. That kid's a that kid's a fun setter to watch. He does all kinds of funky stuff. You know, he'll lean back and get get the blockers to, you know, bite going back and all of a sudden he's shooting forward. And you know, that's that's not something you see every day. Uh, but he does it, you know, once in a great while just to throw that block off a little bit. Kids from Iowa. I mean, how many great players? And I, and I know there are more coming. So don't don't write me any hate mail, anybody. Iowa's not a bad place. But I how, many, too. how many guys out of Iowa come out and and lead a team like this? I mean, that's pretty cool to watch. So kudos to that kid. He's a good setter. Yeah. Uh, anything else, anyone? Or can we move on to our next one? We'll go since there's a stall there. This is uh, Dan's conference, uh, the Miva. But number 12, Ball State, number 15, Ohio State, uh, last week uh, squared off twice with Ball State getting night 1-3-0, Ohio State sneaking in getting a 3-2, and the Viva is going to turn out to be a mess in the middle there, Dan. So why don't you talk about Ball State and then flow into what the Miva could look like? Well, I wasn't surprised. I think Ball State's starting to play better volleyball. I think, you know, you're seeing Caleb over the past month with his shoulder look a little bit better. They already had... T on the other pin, and I think that group's just consistently improving, uh, and, and they'll be a force as they get into the conference tournament. Um, I think that that reverse sweep uh, was really important for Ohio State. I thought Ball State was going to get him again. Shane Wetzel, who's a true freshman, uh, had two big nights, I think 19 kills each night, um, and so you're seeing him kind of step into that position, and you know he's a big lefty, I think, that was on our uh, U21 group, you know what I mean, in terms of that. And so uh, so that's a pretty big piece for them in terms of balancing their offense out a little bit for them at the same time. And so, uh, but yeah, I mean, ultimately, 
two tough places to play and two teams taking care of business at home. So, yeah. All right. Uh, anyone else uh, want to add anything about Ohio State Ball State in Amoeba? You're good. All right. We're going to go to the top tier now. Number two, Penn State only had one match last week. St. Francis 3-0. Everyone knows they're good after the weekend in Hawaii. But uh, what are we uh, gathering now as far as uh, Penn State as a team that, well, I'm pretty sure we've already said it during the our other episodes, but I want to get a take just for our listeners and viewers. Well, we'll go with Jay since it's your, your uh, the home conference there. Well, I think Pav would probably tell you, you know, obviously, you know, the, the, the starters he has on his team are pretty good, but the mark of a true great team, the second best team is their B side and their B sides push him. You know, he's got some, some depth on the bench. He's got some fifth year guys that took advantage of the COVID and they're, they're playing well. And, you know, if one guy's having an off night, they're just reloading. They're not, they're not restructuring or rebuilding or making any changes. They're just inserting another guy. And next thing you know, the guy's coming in and killing it. Kerr's probably one of the best backup opposites in the country. Um, and then Valenzi has been coming in and steadying them out. Should Cobal be having an off night and, and vice versa. So uh, it'll be interesting if they didn't have Bogner and they didn't have Merck, how good they would be. And, and by that, I mean, Bogner's, my in my eyes, one of the top three setters in the country. If they don't have him, should something strange happen, knock on wood for Penn State, um, you know, that would be interesting to see because he makes that team hum. And uh, and I'm I'm you know, we're gonna see them in a few weeks, but man, they are good and they are fun to watch. I just have to explain the metaphor because there are some people that are pre-2000 when you said the B side of team. <laughs> Just in case, that's called a record, and bands would market the number one song. They'd have the A side. I'll give you an example. The band U2 released a single boy on one side, but what was on the B side, which is Sunday Bloody Sunday, which is a team that broke them into rock and roll history. So it's called a record. They're vinyl, in case you guys are wondering, they're listening. So <laughs> I'm not going to lie here. I didn't know that. I didn't know that. <laughs> <laughs> wow I, i'm really surprised by that well let me hit you in a little something brad and and i don't know this from experience but back in the day when you had a double album that's where people would roll their joints on i'm just saying I'm just whoa just, hey family oh, friendly hey. show hey, <laughs> well, hey, hey I, wanted, yeah, I think i think it's worth noting though as well that i believe tapes also had two sides and you could flip those bad boys over and you can play on the other side of that as well. Important to know. <laughs> That's awesome. I love the One of my first tapes, Sir Mix a Lot. Family friendly television <laughs> <out> here, Dan. <laughs> Don't say the name of the title track, Dan. <laughs> all right, all right. So hey, back to Penn State. Um, yeah. I think I think they're gonna be your new number one. That's my guess. Yeah. No, I think uh, I agree. I think you know, ultimately deserving so, and I think any of those four teams could be number one at any given time. But I think it's Penn State's opportunity. Uh, you know, those guys split, and you know, Penn State could be in a good spot to do that. So, so yeah, tell me saying? why you think that. Why I think that? I think yeah. because they split Hawaii and Long Beach. Do you know what I mean? And so, and I think uh, with Penn State beating Hawaii and splitting with UCLA on the season. I do think that gives Penn State just that edge, at least right now in this week. You know what I mean? I, gave, I, so. I, I like where you're going with this, Theo. I actually had 
UCLA number one, Penn State two, Long Beach third, Hawaii fourth. Uh, and the reason being is UCLA absolutely demolished Stanford in their house twice, two nights in a row. Uh, the first night was 12, 12, and 12. Like it wasn't even close. Uh, and UCLA beat Penn State uh, last week. So those that was my reasoning. But you're right, Dan. It could, it could go any direction in those things. Yeah, I think if you look at it, I mean, if we remember, Long Beach beat Penn State at Penn State, right? And so you look at it all the way around. I mean, it's just impossible to call, which is why I think it's so interesting that you look at the coaches poll, you look at no easy buckets, you look at off the block. They're all different. None of them look the same, you know, <laughs> which is kind of fun. I like the parody. Yeah. But all four at the top, you know what I mean? So oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, there's no question about that. Yeah. Yeah, so I was going to say, so the the media poll at Off the Block has Penn, had Penn State number one this last week. So, you know, chance are Penn State be back-to-back number one is what I'm thinking. And while we're at it, Penn State, got it for you, Dan. It's Bogner got back set in relation to the uh, Sir Mix-a-Lot tape that you had. So that you was can awful. reference it that way. Just, just see yourself out, Rob. That was. Oh, yeah, I hey, I actually really dug that. I thought that was great. Yeah, that's, that's, that's fantastic. Buttermilk <laughs> biscuits, baby. That's all I gotta say. Okay. <laughs> well, let's move forward. We already alluded to it in our literally just seconds ago, but UCLA rolling because Jay already wanted to jump into the uh, the Bruins uh, week, but. Wow, big hammer of number 10 Stanford. And I'm going to let you guys run with this because there are some numbers in the box score that I saw were just mind-blowing, at least team-wise. So I'll let you run with it. Brad, I know that you're the analytic guy big time after uh, speaking to you more in detail in the last few weeks. But why don't you take a shot at the uh, UCLA and where they're at? I mean, their offense is, is playing really well. Yeah, I think they hit over 500 one of the nights, uh, the 25-12 night, and then slowed down a little bit night two. But Merrick McHenry having a huge impact offensively. But more importantly, he had five aces in one night, which he's hitting a hybrid serve. He's hitting it from about 12 feet. He's hitting it about 60 miles per hour. Um, and it's pretty impressive. And um, to be able to do that to a couple really good pa- passers with Rotman and Louie um, out there for Stanford is an impressive showing. So being able to get them ace five times by a hybrid serve is is showing that serve is going to be gnarly and, and tough to deal with throughout the rest of the year. So that, that was what popped off to me. Yep. Uh, let's go to uh, Jay. Thoughts on the UCLA? <clears throat> I, I logged into that match, I think, midway through the first. And I thought, okay, you know, Stanford had a bad game, whatever, we'll move on. It was just – it was relentless. I have not seen a match of, the, of two high-caliber teams, or at least what I thought was two high-caliber teams, um and just be annihilated like that 12 12 and 12 in your own gym where you practice no less they were in burnham they weren't even in maples um that's there, there's something that, that there's something strange about that i'm not saying anything's wrong i'm not saying there's somebody's hurt i don't know but it that that's a little bit of a beat down and next night they they came out and, and had some some better scores but yeah i, I watched mchenry serving these hybrids you know and, and made stanford's passers which are not bad players just looked like they didn't know what they were doing. That's how good it was. Theo Snow is going to be really good. Rotman's still good. I'm a little concerned about what's going on around them. They they don't look. They didn't look like they were very fresh or very polished. But you know, could be for a number of reasons. I don't know about. But yeah, it was a beatdown. UCLA played really really well. Yeah, uh, we'll go to uh, Theo. Anything to add there? 
Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I think the the interesting piece is you guys already touched on the individuals. If you look at the teams that went to outrigger, you want to talk about this from a coaching perspective, from a player's perspective, these seasons are incredibly long and they're playing a ton of matches. And for all the, the people listening, you got to understand there's a lot that goes into that physically, mentally, emotionally. And these are, these are students, right. In addition to the fact, and I can tell you from personal experience and from my teams, I mean, there's a toll that goes into it. And I know that that is the same across the board and to watch those teams that came off of that Island who were playing some incredible ball against the best teams in the country to refocus and get right back to it and do what UCLA did is absolutely impressive. Um, in addition to the fact that obviously we talked about what Penn state did, which I think could have easily been a fall off match for them and, have multiple guys step in and play great and continue to continue to push the envelope. And then obviously Hawaii and Long Beach, something really, really similar, right? Really, really high level ball and um, just absolutely bringing it. And I think that as the season goes on, the best teams are able to do that. They're able to come off of whether it's wins, whether it's losses, whether it's splits, come back the next week and still be sharp and still be executing at a really high level. Yeah. I was say, I think that where that's where that depth comes in with those top four or five teams right now. Like, you know, UCLA we know has depth. You know, we know Hawaii and Long Beach have a little bit of depth. Penn State's got depth for sure, and so those could be some separating factors as you get into the end of this uh, and where teams are at a little bit. Um, and it certainly separates the top five teams uh, from the teams that are below them a little bit in terms of the rankings and stuff. Well, it's actually a great segue uh, into the next topic, which is Big West brawling, because we did have a, another big match in the islands. It was number one, Hawaii, uh, versus number four, Long Beach State. And wanted to focus on night one. Um, you know, Long Beach State comes in, everyone's thinking Hawaii is super strong, 3-0 sweep. Um, let's talk about night one. Start with you, Jay. All right. Again, I, I think... Theo nailed it. You know, these top tier teams, whatever night they come in, it, it's kind of a crapshoot. I don't think anybody really knows who's going to who's gonna win each match, and that's what makes it exciting. It's not like one team is just dominating every single team. It's teams in that top tier, they're beating each other up, and it's fun to watch. My only hope, when it comes down to the Final Four, should those teams be involved still, I hope that it's not a 3-0 sweep. I hope it's two teams that are playing their best volleyball at the same time, and we'll get some really great volleyball to watch at the end of the year. Yep. Let's jump over to Brad. Yeah, I mean, night one, I mean, Long Beach dominated offensively, and their middles were, were a huge impact. And I think Shane Holdaway, offensively, he's been putting together a really nice year, and he doesn't get a ton of love. He gets a little overshadowed on that team, but he is really impressive. And I think, let's see, night one, he hit 778. Yeah, seven kills, nine, nine attempts, like just an impressive steady night. And really Hawaii did not miss many serves, um, which is normal Hawaii with seven service errors. So that means Long Beach is passing well, able to set a lot of quick and, and be super efficient hitting over 480 on the night, which is a testament to Aiden setting that team really, really well. Yeah. Jump over to Dan. Yeah, I think we had this conversation a few weeks ago about just the impressive offensive clips. Hawaii is a good defensive team, if not one of the best blocking teams in the country. <clears throat> and Long Beach goes out at their house and hits almost 500 for the match in night one. 
you know, and so it's just impressive by Long Beach. Uh, you know, I think uh, Aiden Knipes has been criticized quite a bit, but you've seen his progress as a player improve, and he's finding these middles on the move and off the net and, you know, creating some offense with this group, and he's worked really hard at it. And so, uh, so compliment to that group about getting it done, and then compliment to Hawaii about responding. You know, the sometimes the sky is falling, and oh no, Hawaii got swept, but they are a talented team with a talented coaching staff, and you saw that right there. They 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 flipped the switch, responded, uh, and came back in night two uh, and took care of business at their home venue. And so the other guy that pops out is Saponis. So we see him make this transfer, and he's kind of we've seen him, you know, having some decent games, but to go and really, I think this is that one of those big huge games for him that first night where he was really good. And I was wondering if he would repeat it, but I don't know that he was as impressive the second night as he was that first night in terms of that, so. Well, I think uh, from what I saw, at least box score wise and watching it, they kind of focused on Sipani's on night two because he wasn't as productive, well, obviously in the loss, they weren't, weren't as productive, which was obviously the end result for Hawaii. But man, I love watching that chess match, seeing those little tweaks by you coaches. Oh, you know what? We lost that one. Let's make this tweak out or match one, whichever. But seeing that that chess game being played or spinning the dial or inserting a, a different uh, personnel change at just at one position or maybe even all of them. But uh, I love seeing that adjustment by all the coaching staffs. They're doing it. They're going in match. But um, Theo, finish it out here. Yeah, that was exactly what I was going to talk about. It's upon us. I mean, he uh, night one, he hits 531 on 19 kills, uh, which is absolutely ridiculous. And. Um, but the more impressive piece and kind of Dan touched on this a little bit, right? Saponis has been really up and down. Um, and so I don't know that anyone expected him to have that type of performance on night one, but then to watch Hawaii respond and Rob, you're spot on. They absolutely keyed on him. Um, and they, they went into it with the mindset of we have to stop this guy if we want to win. And they did, they absolutely bottled him up. They made his world incredibly difficult to score they touched a ton of balls and were able to transition a bunch of his swings and um you know and that's that's the that's that's the code for a really great team right if you are able to figure out what the puzzle pieces say and what do we got to do to win this and be able to put that together and execute it on the next night or hopefully it's the next set right stop the bleeding and be able to change it mid-match uh, in this case, they couldn't do that. They were able to refocus and get back, get after it the next night. And pretty impressive to turn around and sweep them the next night. I don't know that anyone predicted the first sweep. We sure as hell didn't predict the second one. Yep. Well, night one, and I, I point this out because, you know, Long Beach went in with a game plan and it was obviously to shut down Hawkins, Spiros Hawkins, who I don't think in the entire time he's been playing, I've never seen him hit anywhere near below a hundred. And he was at negative 045 on night one. So yeah, the, the plans played out accordingly. And as a volley nerd, I'm like, oh, that's what happened. Or in the night two, oh, that's what happened. So uh, I love the strategy panning out there. Um, let's go to our next topic there. Unless uh, anything else to add on the Hawaii Long Beach series? I think for me, night two, there was a huge point that was very controversial with uh, Spencer Olivier is on a four-point service run to tie it up 24-24. Um, Long Beach wins the point and there's a weird play at the net a joust and I was watching it live I happened to tune in for this stretch and they Charlie calls a challenge on a net touch on this out of system set Saponis sets it over with two up into the block and the net's bouncing around and moving quite a bit 
And they call a net on Saponis there to give Hawaii set two, 25-23, instead of what would have been Long Beach serving 24-24. And on all the replays they were showing, and I went back and watched it on volumetrics, did not look like a net. And there was no net originally called. And Long Beach was clearly upset in the moment, um, and I think deservedly so. And I thought that really kind of took away a chance for us to see some of those best players playing their best in those big moments. And uh, I was definitely not a fan of seeing that. Question for you guys, but it, does Volumetrics have the same video footage as we're seeing on the screen? No. Now for our streams? No. Wow. Behind me and mine. <laughs> you got to be bringing the fan question topic back up. The uh, video challenge, huh, Brad? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> Brad, if you didn't like those calls, you would have hated the Damon match. I'll tell you what. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, that was a little controversial, that last call that was made. It was, uh, yeah, I don't know. There's, there's been some uh, some questionable calls around the country. I, I don't know what's going on, but yeah. <laughs> it's a Chinese weather balloon that's doing that. I'm telling you right now. Um, don't mention Chinese. Don't say anything about that. Sorry. It's just a weather balloon. Okay. <laughs> let's, let's not get any hate Politi mail here. Politically correct show, Rob. Get on it. Get <laughs> Even if it says made in China on it. <laughs> um, so I'm gonna, we wanted to go into the another conference that's been showing some uh, volatility, we'll say. It's uh, Dan's home conference, the MEVA, because there are a few upsets in the week. Uh, Dan's team against McKendry, PFW, the upset of, of Loyola, which, wow, big time, is a, is a reverse sweep, I believe, in that one. But I uh, wanted you guys to talk about what you saw with those two matchups in the MIVA and what is happening in the MIVA because you have now Loyola with a loss, but in, from two on, it's still, I mean, to me, it looks pretty wide open except for the bottom spot. So, uh, Dan, share a little bit there and then we'll go to the other guys. Well, uh, I mean, kudos to Rock and his group of Purdue Fort Wayne. I think those guys uh, found a way to grind it out. Um, their set or Sergio was pretty key in that fifth game he came up with a couple blocks on Cole uh Schotthauer and so that was pretty the, the pretty big turning point at the end of that game right there and so but John Dietrich 19 kills that guy's been a workhorse all year I believe he got his thousand kill I don't remember if it was Charleston earlier in the week or yeah. on this match but uh just so you guys know he's my player of the week so please don't steal him so <laughs> but uh um I think you know they've done a nice job him and Bryce Walker carrying that offense for them with some other pieces kind of stepping in and loyal is good. And again, the fall is not sky loyal has probably been a little up and down with some play when I've watched them, uh, but they're going to get refocused. And, you know, sometimes you take a tough loss like that and the unfortunate pieces, I play them next <laughs> you know what I mean? So uh, on Thursday, but I think uh, you'll see them be just fine towards the end in terms of where they're headed. But you talk about where the league's at. I think the Lindenwood Ohio state match is key coming up because Lindenwood sitting at six and two and, you know, Purdue is at four and four, we're at four and four. And, you know, so there is a little bit of a bottleneck there. And uh, I thought we did some nice things against McKendry at home, which was good to see. And so, but yeah. Just want to correct that. It was a fought off a reverse sweep. They were up two. Loyola took the next two and a 15, 12 in the fifth. So with that, let's jump over to uh, Brad and the thoughts on the Miva action. And the yeah, in, in the, uh, the Lewis McKendry match, like it was just good volleyball and just looked like, Lewis made a few more plays like 25, 22, 25, 23, and all those sets. And that's kind of par for the course for 
what the middle of that conference looks like right now. And then when you look at Loyola, Purdue, Fort Wayne, I mean, it's Diedrich versus Parker Van Buren, more or less. Uh, <laughs> Parker had 54 swings. Diedrich had 62 swings. Um, so those guys hopefully had uh, plenty of ice on their shoulders afterwards. But uh, impressive performance by both of them. And I think Loyola, really the key for them and kind of for them to be pushed into supremacy within the MIVA and, and into that top tier is going to be what happens with those left sides. Schlottauer has the ability to play some really, really high-level volleyball. And then with Colton Brooks or Jack Yentz, um, whoever that second outside is, I think it's been a little bit more Colton Brooks as of late. Um, but whoever that second outside is, if they're playing well, then Loyola is really, really scary. Um, if they have some off nights like they did against Purdue-Fort Wayne, um, then they're they're beatable. Yep. Uh, anything else to add? Other guys who haven't responded? Yeah, uh, Colton Brooks went down with a rolled ankle injury in the second game, and I think that was a major factor for Loyola uh, not having a little firepower that maybe uh, they expected from him. But yeah, Purdue Fort Wayne, uh, you know, just lost to Charleston I think the week prior, uh, and then they came back and beat Loyola. So again, it just shows you anybody can beat anybody on any given night. Um, and I agree with Dan, the setter at PFW is doing a nice job. He's moving the ball around. Dietrich uh, just got an NIL sponsorship deal with Blue Emu for his shoulder because the kid is the kid is swinging a ton. See if he can hang on for the rest of the season. But you know, it's it's fun volleyball to watch for sure. Yeah, it's uh, Sergio Castillo for PFW. Forty assists, eleven digs, solo block, and five block assists. So not only contributing offensively, but putting in his defensive work against uh, Loyola. Yeah, and I'll add, I'll add that, you know, with Diedrich over at PFW, uh, you know, seeing him at the outrigger and he gave problems to the best teams in the country. Um, so there's really no shock that he's able to do what he does and he's continued to do it, which is pretty impressive. But I think the dark horse in the Miva right now is, is Lindenwood. Um, and they're definitely, Dan touched on this a little bit, but those guys are poised and in a position where they're a few wins away from making this thing really, really interesting. Uh, obviously, we got Lewis Loyola, the uh, the Crosstown rival matchup this week, which is going to be incredibly fun to watch. Um, but it's anyone's game at this point. And that's, you know, that's, that's what makes it exciting. I think uh, hopefully the fans come out and, and watch some of these matches that are coming up because Neva's looking really interesting. Yeah. Just touch on the conference standings really quick. Uh, North Greenville, top conference, Carolina's a 5-2, EIVA, Penn State, and 4-0. IVA, Lincoln Memorial, up 3-0. Loyola, top, the Miva at 8-1, and and the bottleneck behind there. UCLA, up uh, at 1 in the MPSF at 6-0. NEC, which uh, is going to – it's a good segue into our next topic, but I'm going to talk about SIAC first. Edward Waters, 4-0. Back to Damon, 6-0, whom Theo – was the final upset of the week. <laughs> I, ha I had to blend it there somehow. So, uh, and I know that you guys had mentioned a lot about Damon in previous episodes because they were a team to watch along with like Lincoln Memorial as well. But um, thoughts on what you saw with Damon coming out West uh, this week, Theo? Sure. Yeah, Damon's a good team. Uh, I think Dan talked about them last week a little bit. Uh, senior heavy team. You know, I think mostly seniors and juniors on the floor for them. And um, they're doing some really special things. You know, they're, I think they're, their offense is a little unique. They have a 5'10 outside hitter, which is is not something that you normally see. 
Um, but he's got a great serve and he's a nice passer. Uh, so he does some really nice things in there for them. And that's really why he's on the floor. Uh, their opposite is legit. He is absolutely legit. Is that Zach um, Schneider? That's Schneider. Yeah. The director he, of the movie, the 300. <laughs> you know, yeah, that is correct. Um, <laughs> And he, you know, he had a fantastic match against us. He played pretty well, I think, most of the night. But, you know, if you watch, uh, if you watch even their matchup against Pepperdine, um, you know, Jasper didn't play great. Uh, it, it, they kind of contained him a little bit. And, you know, a lot of that is just with how hard these guys work. They, they dig a ton of balls. They're incredibly fiery. Uh, you know, our, our school was on spring break. Uh, so the gym was absolutely empty. And they're doing a bunch of East Coast flare and they're like lifting guys up after points and the bench was like i mean it looked like a soccer match out there from uh from europe i mean it was really really fun to actually be a part of um <laughs> but damon played really well we you know this is like i said earlier there's some there's some things that made this a really a really uh tough week for us internally um but our guys found a way to to take them to five you know they, they won the first two sets and won them pretty handily uh there were some questionable calls you know, I think we talked about the 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 option of whether you call throws or don't call throws, and it became a massive factor in our match. Um, I think we had six throws called against us, and maybe one of them is called in the eighties. The other five probably not. Um, and it 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 was at some pretty pivotal points, and uh, Unfortunately, we ended up being on the the not so receiving end of that. It it didn't go great. Uh, but I tip my hat to Damon. Damon's doing is playing great, and Donnie's doing a fantastic job with that team. And you know they come out here for three matches and and found a way to get one at the end. Yeah, twelve and three overall, so respectable record without a doubt. Uh, guys, want to chime in on the uh, Damon? Jay. Yeah, yeah, I do. Uh, first of all, Schneider's my pick, so don't anybody steal him. Um, <laughs> The, the thing that, that, that impressed me the most was um, the fact that referees are starting to call these throws. You know, we've been talking about it now for a while, and I think it's the biggest uh, uh, farce known to man that these things are legal. They're awful. They're not legal. They're throws, um, and people are getting away with it. Uh, and now, all of a sudden, we're seeing a little bit of a shift back in that direction. Not only were there calls thrown or uh, throws called in Theo's match, I saw Stanford get called. Uh, there's probably three or four throws that were called in that match. The PFW match uh, against Loyola, there were throws called. Um, and so all of a sudden, you're starting to see a little shift here where the referees are saying, look, this is not volleyball. This is now changing uh, how the attack is being done. Uh, and I welcome it. I really do. I, I, I miss watching guys have the ability to roll shot a ball or, you know, knuckle a ball over when it's really tight or maybe a little quick swipe. But when you see guys taking it and I, there was one guy at Stanford, the center went up, literally caught it like this, turned and then threw it. And that's just absolutely unacceptable. But we've seen that we get, we see people getting away with that in recent months and now all of a sudden it's being called. So that's the only thing I want to comment on. Damon's good. Damon is going to be like the Cal Baptist. And when they get into the NEC next year, those other NEC teams better watch out. Donald's doing some nice things up there. All right. Uh, did anyone else want to add on to the Damon topic? Yeah, I think this did. He always has been. He's an impressive player. All right. Over to Dan. 
Yeah, I was just it's one of those topics. It's unfortunate the bracket's not expanded yet, and that AIM is not in the NEC, and you don't get to see them be in a 12-team tournament and go play. You know what I mean? Because uh, I don't know, talented group, older group that, uh, like Theo said, that unfortunately won't be in this postseason mix when it comes down to it. Uh, and so, but compliment to you know, Gleason's been doing a great job. He's got a great group. They're doing some really good things. And to win the third match on a West Coast swing, uh, and <laughs> However many attempts he's taken, do you know what I mean? That's that's just uh, that kid's in shape, do you know what I mean? Because that's a wear and tear for sure, do you know what I mean? In terms of <laughs> good call. Hey, yeah. uh, with that, let's uh, let's go into our coaches' pick player of the week, and we know Jay's and Dan, so we'll still ask them so they can put it flat out there. So uh, we'll go with Jay. <laughs> yeah, Zach Schneider from Damon, twenty-six kills, hit four eighty-eight against Northridge. That's a pretty good performance from a kid. Third night uh, of matches in four days or whatever it was, five days. Uh, kudos to that kid. Uh, did a nice job. That's as close to a salt-shaking moment we've had on this episode on Theo. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I've had my fair share of salt thrown on me, around me, everything. So I, you know, I, just, I don't feel bad for you, Theo. I'm sorry. Yeah, I actually feel like I had it coming at some point. <laughs> All right, Dan, who's your guy since you threw it out there? Uh, John Dietrich, you know, ultimately instrumental in their win over Loyola, as well as getting his thousandth kill and having a great season. And I think Jay said it, his NIL sponsor. Who was that, Jay? Who should it be? Blue Emu. Blue Emu. (laughs) But yeah, John Dietrich. All right, let's go over to Brad. Who's your uh, pick of the week, your player pick of the week? All right, I have multiple choice, and I'm going to ask Jay for some help. Jay, do I go with my Orange County homer or do I do my new San Diego homer for this pick? I think you got to go with your new San Diego. And in Gianni. There you Grand go. Canyon. 18 kills, or sorry, 13 kills and 12 kills, three aces both nights. Crushing it. Good call. And then to Theo. Yeah, I think I'm surprised no one no one said this yet, but I'm going with Heno. Um, you know, obviously what he's doing from the end line from a serve perspective is breaking records in at, at UCI, has the potential to break some serious records, you know, across across all of our programs. Um, this these wins that they had against Santa Barbara, he hit 346 on 13 kills, had three aces, two blocks, three digs. Uh, he is playing some really, really high level volleyball. And I actually, me and my staff were talking about it earlier. I can't remember, and I was going to ask you guys this question, who is the best lefty outside you have seen to date if we're not talking about Heno? I can answer. Ozzy Antonetti of BYU. Opposite. One. He was an opposite. He wasn't an outside hitter. All the times I saw him at Irvine in the old Crawford Hall, he was an, uh, an outside. So, wow. All right. I was wrong. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Aussie, but Aussie's a great call. Kid's legit. And he's only 6'1". <laughs> hey, wow. Any he others? Yeah. It's a tough one, right? <laughs> yeah. It's a tough yeah, one. It's, you it's, don't it's, see it very often. And he's, uh, I mean, he's doing it to a, to a real high level. It's, uh, it's pretty impressive to watch. Yeah. Just wanted to add on Halir Hanno, just to put in perspective. And the only reason I have this stat line in my head is because I worked the broadcast on Friday night. But uh, Hanno broke the season record ace 
total for UC Irvine, which was 61, has 62 on the season, broke Carson Clark way back in 2012. And that was over a four-year career for Clark. Heno was a sophomore. So, uh, and there's a lot of season left. Yes. I mean, this this is incredible to be breaking it at this point in the year. Yeah. Yeah. And he did have a run where he had eight aces in a match and got nine, I believe, uh, just within the last week or so. So his, uh, his isn't even a pace thing. It's his ability to control the ball from a short chop standard. Like he certainly has some pace, but some of the other guys we talked about in the past was like, like a guy like Gabby was, I mean, he's just going to blow you up. You know what I mean? But he's got so much control and range and it looks so similar. It's so tough to handle. So yeah. You know, Dan, I think that that's that's one of the least talked about things when it comes to jump serves. You know, most most of the men's game is just looking to absolutely bomb away. And sometimes it's the consistency, right? Your ability to control it, maybe put it on the weaker passer and be in a position to score a ton more aces in that position. So he's doing it well. And with him, we, we saw it a lot last week. And he's so good at being deceptive with that depth change. Right. And you saw it with those four straight aces against Penn State and that got a lot of notoriety, but he can hit it 65 miles per hour and then looks almost identical apart from one frame on volumetrics to when he does his chop shot and cuts it. And, you know, it's been interesting to see lots of different coaches try lots of different tactics to try to slow that down or try to mitigate that um, consistently. And whether it's starting defending in row one or trying to put a different middle up there or using the four passers, it's, it takes a, a lot of uh, concerted effort um, to be able to stop that and slow that down a little bit. Um, and it draws away from a lot of other focus that you have going into the match. I would agree with that. Uh, I'm going to answer Theo's question. Chris Crashauer? Ooh. Oh, wow. That's an old name. Man, you had to go back in the books for that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Crash, as, we, uh, as people called him. Yeah, it was good. Lefty outside. <laughs> Want to shout out Kevin Barnett, the originator of the Net Live podcast 2009, was at the Irvine match, Santa Barbara match, because his son Reese is an opposite on the team, who unfortunately was out again due to a unexpected injury. But uh, just wanted to shout out to Kevin. I know you're you're listening in here, and great seeing you. And just happened to be wearing this bad boy tonight. Nice, nice. nice. The last of the. Uh, the uh, net live shirts but uh Irvine went out 2-0 but man if there's a team that's I just couldn't feel more sorry for a coach is Rick McLaughlin he's got Jay Hossack's team injury just guys dropping off but what's crazy is those guys are still battling and in the match so but uh with that I want to uh jump into pick one match you're watching next week uh we're short on time here and we I think we have to jump off here soon so uh, let's start with you Brad I got one, um, Conference Carolina, King versus Erskine, the battle for to kind of keep up with North Greenville. I think that's uh, going to be big in terms of setting them up for first or second in that conference. Good call. Over to uh, Jay. This match sponsored by TJ Murray. <laughs> uh, I'm going to be watching, uh, besides my own match versus Loyola, I'm going to be watching Princeton versus Loyola on Saturday uh princeton has a couple guys that can bring it over 70 miles an hour from the service line uh and that's dangerous and i'm going to be watching that one with bated breath all right over to uh we'll go uh dan 
Uh, Pepperdine and BYU, right? They've got two matches coming up. So uh, I think that'll be pretty pivotal in the conference race. And uh, as P BYU has been trying to climb and get better. And so it'll be a great matchup. I think two top 10 teams. So, All right. Good call to Theo. Yeah. I, I, you know, I like the Concordia and, and Grand Canyon matchup. Um, I think Concordia plays is playing pretty well right now. They, you know, they beat Damon in three. And they're also one of those teams that I think that a lot of people might sleep on. Uh, they they do some really nice things and incredibly scrappy team and maybe maybe an upset in the making. We'll see. Well, I'm going to throw one down there because it's the Battle of Chicago. Louis Loyola at Loyola. So uh, we'll see uh, if the uh, golf tournament friendly is still hang around that matchup. Right, Dan? Uh, <laughs> Between yeah. you and Hoxie. <laughs> I got a new name for, for uh, Dan's school. It's UCR, University of Chicago, Romeoville. Oh, nice, nice. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like that, but okay. So. It's, better, it's better than Pornhub State for Northridge. I mean, that's kind of... <laughs> oh They're with the family out the window. Hey, well, they, uh, they, they instated some new laws. That all moved out. <laughs> Oh really? Oh man, that was the big thing back in the day when I was playing. There's some there's some protection law, so it all went to Arizona. <laughs> well, well, there's been, no Jay, <laughs> there's been no Jay Jinx handed out or friend funkiness, so we're okay this week with everyone. But I uh, want to thank Jay Hosick of George Mason, Brad Roster of UC San Diego, Dan, friend of Lewis, and uh, Theo Edwards of Cal State Northridge. Go follow these programs, go on their social media, click on their websites, let them know you're supporting just in that way. And be, be sure to check Dan's social. He's been getting some good stuff through his program. Questions with Coach. So uh, that's, uh, that's uh, coming up on Facebook and Instagram Live. Some, some good stuff coming in there. So guys, have a great week. Thanks for listening to College Volleyball Weekly. Be sure to follow Rob Espero at the Rob on the Mic on Instagram and at Rob on the Mic on Twitter.